You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Let's get this out of the way. Are there any longhorns in the room this weekend? Okay. Any horned frogs in the room this weekend? I got one brave one right here. Okay. There you go. That was really tepid. Okay. Welcome. My name is Will Davis Jr. Um, If I don't have the pleasure yet of knowing you, we're so glad you're here. Um, If you're alone today, you're not alone. I mean, obviously, you're surrounded by people, but you can be in a room this big and, and feel very much alone. Um, but there's a, there's a God in heaven who loves you like crazy. You hear the amens to that. There's a God in heaven who experientially, we know, is in hot pursuit of the lonely and the heartbroken. As Sarah was praying just about the, the challenge that life can be, Um, There's a God who's overcome that. The hope is living. So know that and take a big, deep breath. You're in a safe place. You're in a safe place. Um, If you'd like to have a Bible, will you mind raising your hand? We have greeters coming down the aisles. I think we have some in Spanish as well. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to have you keep one. You can take it. It's our gift to you. You can give it away. You can sell it on eBay. Sell it on eBay. We don't care. Just You have to read it first, though, before you sell it on eBay. Um, let me put up the next step slide. If, you haven't, if you've been coming to ACF for a while, really since about July, and you've not yet attended our next steps class, this is a great way to meet people on a smaller scale. I'll be there. It's today after about 1 o'clock. If you can go and come back, do something, and then come back. Um, We'd love to have you for lunch, just childcare provided. And it's about an hour long. And today, step one is I'll share a little bit of the story of ACF and how I felt led to start the church with my wife almost 30 years ago. And um, then talk a bit about your role in it. And it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to meet leaders that come to our church. And a lot of the people you'll see serving around came through Next Steps class. Uh, so feel free uh, to take advantage of that. We'd love to have you. It's a great way to connect and uh, just know more about what the church is about, what we're trying to accomplish, and how you perhaps can play a role in that. Uh, finally, before I jump in here, uh, I've recorded a video this week about Halloween. And um, the link is on the screen as well. Just to be honest with you, I'm not a real fan no. of Halloween. And um, kind of think it's time for it to die in all honesty. And uh, not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to tell you what your kids shouldn't do. uh, But I do want you to know some of the history of it and what the Bible says about some of the things that are the roots of Halloween and let you make an informed decision on the role you're going to play as a family or your kids are going to play or whatever. I don't think a kid dressed up as a ballerina or Aaron Judge, you know, you guys having a party in your backyard or whatever, doing candy, there's nothing wrong with that. But some of the other stuff that's connected to it is pretty evil, just to be honest. And we're real naive about it. So just there's a nudge. I'll keep nudging you. Um, and watch the video. Make a decision for yourself. I just want you to make an informed decision about it, okay? Because a lot of us don't know. And I'm like, anyway, I'll stop there. It's liable to turn into 30 minutes if I keep talking. So um, golf, golf clap, golf clap on that. Um, let me pray. Lord, we love you and um, need you right now. 
for everything. I mean, we need you for everything. Uh, thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for healing. Thank you for never missing a tear, God. You never, just like a sparrow has never fallen to the ground that you didn't know, a tear has never been shed that you didn't see. And remember, you're the God of orphans and widows. You're the God of the least of these. You're the God of the homeless. You're the God of the prisoners. You're the God of the lost. All of which at some level pretty much describe me and us. Uh, thank you for your revolutionary teachings and the Beatitudes, and I pray you'll anoint me as I try to share a little bit now about this gift called mercy. I pray um, for churches all over the city of Austin that will be relevant and focused on your kingdom and not our kingdom. On your kingdom and not the kingdom of culture. And I pray you give us courage, Lord, to walk to your drumbeat and not to that around us, Lord, because they're different. They're going different directions, God. And that defining line is getting clearer, Lord. Pray for rain. I know it's coming, hopefully tomorrow, I think, but we pray for a lot of it, Lord, and pray to raise our lakes and creeks and reservoirs back to full. Um, we pray for that wonderful concept called fall. We might experience it a little bit here in Austin, Texas, God. We've heard about it. <laughs> anyway, we love you. I pray you just anoint the time, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 5. In case you didn't know, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 gives us his, what I call his treatise on kingdom living. Curiously, Jesus showed up saying the kingdom of God is here. And he, he began to demonstrate it and declare it. He demonstrated the kingdom of God by uh, miraculous signs, healing, casting out demons. He declared the, bringing the lost prodigals back into the family. He declared the kingdom of God by saying, repent, because the kingdom requires you to change in order to come in. You can't come in as, you, as proud and you have to be un embrace your brokenness, your need. And we're still here talking about it. That was 2,000 years ago. And here you are. Something happened. Let me go on a limb. Something happened. So in Matthew, the first few verses, chapter 5, we have what I call the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. They're the Beatitudes, and they're this progressive building of these statements that could be one and done. You could read like, blessed are those who mourn, they get comforted. That's true by itself. But Jesus did not intend these to be eight independent shots across the bow. They are actually progressive. There's a building progress process that Jesus is laying out for us, and we're right in the middle of it. One more thing I want to note to you, and I'll point out again in just a second, in the eight Beatitudes, they parallel the, they parallel the Ten Commandments. Ten, there are ten Ten Commandments, in case you didn't know. There are only eight Beatitudes, but the Ten Commandments start out with your relationship with God. And there's honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Then there's, there's honor your father and mother. And they go from a vertical emphasis, don't have any gods before me, don't take my name in vain, don't worship vain images, honor the Sabbath, and then it moves to horizontal. Honor your parents, don't steal, don't kill. So they go from vertical to horizontal in emphasis. The Beatitudes do the exact same thing. The Beatitudes talk about your relationship before God and your, your posture before God and meekness and mourning and those kind of things. 
But with this verse today, merciful, it now shifts to how, because of this thing you've received from God, now you treat people differently. Kingdom people treat people as kingdom people should. So we've got this shift now, and the next three Beatitudes are about this way. Next week is we talk about pure in heart. It's purity in how you see people, your motives, your intentions, what you think of them. Truth tellers, peacemakers. The next one um, are those who build peace through telling truth. Anyway, we'll get to that. So Matthew 5, verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, the disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, these are shocking because he's putting the word blessed in the context in the same sentence with things that most people don't consider to be blessings, poverty of spirit. Those who mourn and grieve, those who've been broken and are weeping. Well, they're blessed, Jesus said, because the kingdom is about serving those kind of people. If you're at the end of your rope, we'd love to say, if you're at the end of your rope, that's where God is. So if, you, if you're, some of the people in the crowd, when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, went, hallelujah, somebody understands me. Some of them get me. God gets me. Okay, so blessed are those who mourn, for they were comforted. Verse five, blessed are the meek, those who don't grasp and grab and fight and struggle and trying to get ahead, they just inherit the earth. And blessed are those we discussed last week who hunger and thirst for the one thing you can't get on your own, God's righteousness. When you hunger and thirst for that, you're going to be satisfied. If you hunger and thirst for anything else, you're not going to be satisfied. The next carrot is always out there for you to grab. But when you hunger and thirst for the one thing you can't get on your own, which is the righteousness of God, he gives it to you and you're satisfied. And that makes you merciful. When you've gone through those first few process verses and you've been full and you're satisfied, now you look at people differently. You see people, even your enemies, you see them differently. So verse six, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they, in fact, will receive mercy. The condition, the promise, this is how I've been doing this, the condition Makarios is a Greek word, to be blessed, to be enriched. It's not the word happy. Happy is too cheap, too superficial, too, you can bounce off the atmosphere real fast, real fast with happiness. It's, it's, it's a profound, um, joyful, that's not based. You can be blessed and be in prison, honestly. You can be blessed and be poor because it, it's an inner reality. Blessed full, satisfied, makarios, new condition today, the merciful. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Son of David, the blind man, have mercy on me. So mercy is pity shown outwardly. It's not just feeling bad for somebody, it's feeling bad for somebody and doing something about it. Mercy takes us into the realm of justice, okay? Again, now this is the, the, the Beatitudes have shifted, we're now horizontal, so now 
you are blessed if you are merciful towards people. So, so it's, it's pity. Is a ter- I don't like the word pity because it, it's got a negative connotation these days. Um, it's, it's, so it's empathy, empathy is being able to feel with somebody. I really empathize with that because I've been through the same thing. Sympathy is empathy with action attached. So I empathize, man, with these poor folks. You know, that we had a miscarriage, so they had a miscarriage. I'm not saying Susie and I did, I'm just using this figuratively. You know, we've been through a divorce. I can really relate, so I'm going to help them because I can relate to the divorce. Sympathy is empathy with action attached to it. It does something about it. Mercy is not condoning. Because mercy and forgiveness relate, and some of you are afraid to forgive because you think you're giving the person a pass. By the way, how many of you, don't raise your hands, <laughs> how many of you know unforgiveness will make you sick? Yeah, there's a hand. If, if you just hold on to that unforgiveness, it's, it's not going to do a thing to them, it's going to make you sick. Try just, no, don't try it, but it's true. Try it, you'll find out. Don't forgive and let me know how that goes for you. You'll be a hollow shell. So mercy's not like, oh, that's okay. You know, you're in jail, you violated a law, you didn't pay your taxes, you got a DWI or whatever, and you're in real trouble, and mercy's not, oh, well, that's okay, it's just not that big a deal, it's not what mercy is. Mercy's not looking the other way. And just acting as if nothing happened. That's actually really uncaring. To act like nothing happened. Mercy is not condescending. Mercy is not where you go, well, I guess I'll stoop to your level and try to help you. It's, it's, compassion never looks condescending. There, there are positive uses of the word condescension. God condescended when he became a man, but it wasn't like judgy condescending. So mercy is not condoning something. It's not looking the other way, and it's certainly not condescending, but mercy is God-like. In fact, I'm not even going to take the time to describe the Old Testament word hesed, hesed, which is untranslatable in English which is the best word you'll find in the Old Testament for it is loving kindness, which isn't a really good, you can't, really can't get our brains around the Hebrew concept of hesed, and that's the word used most often for God, and it's the mercy of God. So when you're being merciful, you're acting like God. People get all mad at God. Well, read the Bible, friends. He's portrayed in both Testaments as merciful. He can also be a fierce judge when it's appropriate, and he will be in the end. But, but uh, mercy is the best way to describe a God who sends his son to die for sins. That's the best way I can describe him. You, it is secondly, identification. Mercy is really getting in their shoes and understanding how this feels. So again, it's not like, well, I'm, really, I'm really sad about that person and what they're going through. Bummer. Mercy is, I get it. I'm going to choose to get it. I'm going to get in this and walk with them. Mercy is bigger than showing up for the funeral. Mercy is showing up for the funeral and then walking with them the next year. 
that's mercy. Walking with a person who lost a loved one for the next year when the, all the dust has settled from the funeral and now they gotta walk out a whole new normal and you walk it out with them, that's mercy. And finally, it's action or solution, it's, it's solution-centered. I was gonna say action-oriented, it's solution-centered. Mercy always gets into what can we do about this? You can't pluck a person out of their situation necessarily. Someone that we love dearly is walking through a battle of stage four cancer. We can't pluck her out of that. But, and to a most significant degree, I can't identify with it, but I can be very merciful to her. And how can I, what can I do to relieve pressure in this really difficult season for our friend? That's mercy. So mercy is this wonderful outward expression of, of empathy, which becomes sympathy and compassion, and it's got a justice edge to it. It's got a, justice is giving someone what they're due, which they can't get for themselves. Justice is helping someone uh, gain something which is theirs naturally, but they can't get on their own. It's digging a well for an impoverished village in Africa. It's fighting for the, the, those um, widows and orphans who are overlooked by the system. It's speaking for those who have no voice. You know, we talk about justice a lot here. So mercy moves in the direction of justice. And again, you're doing all this because you've inherited the earth. <laughs> You've got everything you need. You've, you've been shown, you've, you've embraced meekness. God's met your needs. You've mourned. He's comforted you. You've embraced getting off the treadmill and you've been given all that you need. Now you're hungering and thirsting for something really great, righteousness, and God's met it. And so you're going, my whole game's changed. I'm gonna be about solving problems now for other people. Inevitably, friends, inevitably, we'll talk about this in our class today, next steps class. Inevitably, if there's enough vertical filling going on, there's going to be a horizontal outflow of it. Which, by the way, looks like a cross, if you think about it. Enough vertical fullness of God, eventually it spills out. And that's where we are in the Beatitudes. So on September 14th, a busload of, we'll call them migrants, crossed the border illegally. Migrants were shipped from Florida on an airplane, not a busload, a plane full, to Martha's Vineyard in Edgartown, Massachusetts, and a little church there, St. Edward's um, Episcopal Church got a phone call and said, can you take some of these for a few days while we find a place for them? And the pastor said, no, we can't take a few, we'll take them all. And they invited those sweet migrants in to their fellowship hall and their sanctuary and housed them for two days until they were sent to an Air Force base. And basically, they began to call people around the community that they knew, who some who attended their church, some who did not, some who were Christians, some who were not, and said, we've got people here who need serious care. Can you help us? And what the story did not get told about the Martha's Vineyard run with those migrants was that this little church brought the whole community together to love on them. Just love on them. Counsel, prayer, dental work, medical work. Just while we, we got you here, can we just, that's mercy. Not, well, you crossed our border illegally. You shouldn't be here. Bummer. We don't have to help you. The why they're here is, friends, 
you could do a whole lot of discussion on this. If your plight is so bad that the best option you have is walking out of your front door with your wives and kids and animals and trekking 1,000, 2,000 miles through hell to get to a border you're not sure you're going to be able to cross safely to land, you don't know when it's going to get there. If that's your best option, things are really bad. I think they were from Haiti. And Haiti's really bad right now. Like really bad. So the church's like, we'll take them all. You get to cancel services this weekend and just love on migrants? Okay, we'll do that. That's mercy's like, I'm so sorry for them. No, I'm so sorry for them. How can I help? That's mercy. Now, let's just remember, I've already kind of hinted this. Let's remember how we got here. We got here with blessed are those who mourn. Excuse me, blessed are the poor in spirit. They realize before God that they're bankrupt, that there's a holy God, that he is true and just and right. And before him, I have nothing to brag on. I can't show him my resume and say what a great person I am because the standard is him, not the standard is my neighbor. I might could outmaneuver my neighbor in holiness, but I can't outmaneuver God. and He's the standard. You have to be perfect to get to heaven. Oops. Heaven is a place for perfect, for holiness. If you can't become that, you're gonna need some help. So Lord, I got nothing. Well, then yours is the kingdom. When you get to the, you got nothing part, yours is the kingdom. So you grieve the brokenness of your heart before God. You mourn over it. You talk about it. You, in, in Julie Washington's word, who taught such a great word a few weeks ago, that the bridge between pain and promise is grieving. Not sadness. Sadness is internal. Grieving is external. And that bridge between your pain and God's promise is getting that out loud. Then you're comforted. The comforted breeds meekness, gentleness, gets you off the treadmill. You're like, why am I working so hard for junk that doesn't matter? And suddenly you've inherited, you've not conquered, but you've inherited the earth. It's better, it's just given to you. And so now that you know that everything you need is gonna be given to you and you can get off the treadmill, now you're starting to hunger and thirst, not for the next material thing, not for the next conquest, not for a better portfolio or a better zip code. Now you're hungering and thirsting for things that really matter, they're eternal. Ultimately, I wanna be found right before God. I'm, I will die if I can't be righteous before God. And God says, well, then you're satisfied. Well, now you've got all that going for you and you're like, who can I help? That's why we're here in this verse now. Who can I help? Christians have been 911 responders throughout history. Plagues, wars, famines, rushing into the flames. Because that's our nature. We have the, we have the world. Why wouldn't we? If we die, we're going to heaven. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> Do I tell you this story? So in 1988, when no one knew what AIDS was, a man who had been openly gay or bisexual for 25 years got saved on, on Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. Great story. He was HIV positive and came back to his hometown of Austin and called a Christian radio station. So I need a church that will take me. 
I've been gay for 25 years, I just got saved, and I got AIDS. What do I do? And the DJ, who went to another church, I was pastoring a little church called Millwood Baptist Church, and they used to joke, it's called Willwood, or Will Wouldn't. And the DJ said, go to Millwood, they'll take you at Millwood. So I walked into my office on a Tuesday, and my um, executive assistant said, there's a guy waiting to see you, he's HIV positive. I mean, you didn't know you could shake hands back then or not. And we sat and talked, and there were some of our leaders. I was like, let's go. We'll baptize you. Let's go. Some of our leaders got wind of it and said, I don't know. It was one of the saddest moments of my life, honestly, in, in ministry, because some of our leaders were like, I don't know if that's the kind of guy we want running around here. I mean, what if he wants to serve in the nursery? But what if he wants to cook in the... And again, there was a lot of fear, but it, was also, it wasn't so much about the AIDS. Can I be honest? It was about that he used to be gay. And so, in the Baptist world, you vote. We don't vote. It's not biblical. In the Baptist world, you vote. And I think three or four people voted. We had to have a big discussion about it. It was really embarrassing. The guy showed us, his name was Larry, showed us more love than we'd ever showed him. Larry was amazing. Larry's in heaven. Great story. I'm going to talk about Larry in a couple of weeks, I think. Tell you more of his story. But um, in the vote, it was like 115 to 3. To, and of course, Larry should be part of our church. I'll never forget what one of our leaders said. He stood up and said, if we all get AIDS and die, okay. That's what we do. Father of a couple of kids. So if we, if we love on Larry and we get sick, okay, we've, we've served the least of these, and sometimes you get sick when you serve the least of these. So be it. I was so embarrassed we even had to discuss it. I don't think mercy counts the cost very much. A couple of missionaries sitting right here from Greece, sweet people who serve. They've met more Christians today than maybe they've ever met in their whole country. And they're serving refugees from Turkey that fled to Greece. That's messy. Mercy is messy. Well, I'm off script. So let's get going. Here's the promise. They'll receive mercy. Notice that the promise and the condition are the same. To only be attitude where what you're promised matches the condition. Because if you mourn, you get comforted. And this one, if you show mercy, you get mercy. That's a law. Okay? I want to introduce you to the concept of a spiritual law. Just like physical laws, they don't negotiate well. The laws of physics, okay? Something in motion stays in motion until another force acts upon it to slow it down. Some of you that have drived not so well have learned that principle. <laughs> I remember being a kid and my mom had cooked breakfast in the cooktop that morning and I was walking by and started doing the, like the game on the, you do it, Chuck E. Cheese, there's a gross reference. And I touched one of the burners that was hot and my hand burned, and it didn't matter that I didn't know it was hot. The law of heat on skin 
was non-negotiable. Jump out of a tree. If you don't believe in gravity, you're going to learn in a hurry. It doesn't negotiate well. Laws are non-negotiable. Spiritual laws don't negotiate either. The wages of sin is death, period. You sin, you die. You can negotiate that all day long with God. It doesn't change. It's a spiritual law. Spiritual laws are even less negotiable than physical laws. They're what govern physical laws. And there are all kinds of spiritual laws. We're violating some spiritual laws in the very thing I've talked about earlier with Halloween. There's some things you don't want to mess with in the world of evil. When you mess with them, you know what? The laws kick in. Spiritual law. Justice, yes, this is a word, begats just, justice. Mercy begats mercy. Begat means give birth to, for those of you who haven't read the King James. Mercy yields mercy. The reverse is true. Injustice yields injustice. Whatever you unlock on earth shall be unlocked and sprinkled back to the earth a hundredfold. Whatever you release is going to be released. So it's a what you reap and sow can allow. It's non-negotiable. So when you show mercy, you receive mercy. When you don't show mercy, don't expect to receive mercy. It's, it's a cause and effect. It's a law. Listen quickly to some scriptures. Uh, you could say it this way. God answers our mercy toward others with his mercy toward us. Proverbs 11, a merciful person does himself good, but a cruel person does himself harm. Isn't that interesting? From the Lord's Prayer, forgive our debtors as we have forgiven our, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus said after the Lord's Prayer, if you forgive others their trespasses, so your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive, don't expect your Father to forgive you. It's not a forgiveness that yields salvation. It's a forgiveness that yields relationship. You can be unforgiving as a Christian, and all it does is blow, blow up your relationship with God. So if you're walking along as a Christian, I'm not going to forgive that person. They've just done too much to hurt me. Well, then you just block your relationship with God. James 2, judgment will be without mercy to anyone who's shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Matthew 18, I'll show you this in a second. A, a man who owed a king a million dollars, figuratively speaking, in the, the context here. The king brings him in to throw him in prison. He says, please have mercy on me, king. I'll get this paid back. And the king says, okay, I'll be merciful toward you. Slave walks out and finds a man who owes him two dollars and beats him to a pulp and says, I want my two bucks. Where's my two bucks? King hears about it and says, come here. Listen to this terrifying text. Summoning him, the evil slave, his master said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he'd repay all that was owed him. Jesus says, my heavenly father will do the same with you if you don't choose to forgive each other. Here's the deal. If God who's perfect can forgive those of us who are imperfect, we who are imperfect have to forgive our peers. Amen. I mean, he didn't have to forgive. He's perfect. And he says, okay, I'll give you grace in this. So I'm going to walk around and judge you guys, but I'm the same as you. Uh-uh. Now I just put myself in the place of God, and guess what? I'm not. So 
and this can go both ways. I give mercy, and so I receive mercy. Okay, but we can all say it this way. I give mercy because I receive mercy. That's true, too. I've been given God's righteousness. I've been given the earth. I've inherited the earth. That's mercy. Well, of course I'm be merciful. And it yields more mercy in my life. It's a cycle. Mercy yields mercy. mercy. Well, some of the mercy we've all received is from God, so we're merciful because we've been touched by God. We know what mercy feels like. Of course, I'm going to show it to you. Of course, we're going to have compassion on the migrants or the prisoners or whatever. Yes, because we're all in the same boat. I've been shown mercy. We show mercy. But because I show mercy, I'm shown mercy. Make sense? I'm trying to see how many times I can say mercy in 10 seconds. Are you with me? Okay. So in the spirit of restore, this season we're in of ACF of trying to slow down a bit, mercy yields rest. It's awfully hard and exhausting to be judgmental. Carrying grudges is work. I'm too lazy to carry a grudge. I'd rather just forgive you. I'll see somebody go, what, am I supposed to be mad at them? What did they do? And I can't remember. I'll do that with Susie. I'm supposed to be mad at Susie. Why can't, I can't remember why I'm mad at Susie. What did we argue about yesterday? I have no idea. Mercy just releases the debts, releases the, all the people you've got to keep up with. It's not condoning. It's like, you know what? I've received mercy. I give you mercy. So in the spirit of restore, some of you will carry a lot lighter load if you just let go of some grudges. Forgive some people. You're not condoning. You're not saying it's okay. Just release it and realize I've been given mercy. I've got to extend mercy. That just takes a lot of pressure off because I've got to remember, otherwise you've got to keep up all your grudges. That's exhausting. Some people, all they do is keep up with their grudges. They're not fun to be around. Practical mercy looks like, this is real important. So I've got about three minutes left. Worship team, you're on cue. Be ready in just a minute. Please listen to what I'm about to say. Practical mercy asks two questions. Number one, what if that was me? If I'm the migrant on the bus, or if I'm the homeless man at the corner, or I'm the 16-year-old who just had an abortion, what if that was me? How would I respond? How would I want people to respond to me? Act as if it were you. We had a, there, there's a story I'll keep real high level. A young woman in our community made a poor decision that wound up on the internet. V- video wound up on the internet of this really poor decision. Young, underage young woman. And some of the mamas around here got wind of it and responded what if that was me and her anonymity has been really for the most part protected but they all wrote a bunch of letters to her and wrote words of life and affirmation this is this is action friends this is what mercy looks like we're not gonna let this girl live the rest of her life defined by that So one of our ACFers organized a letter writing campaign. 
dear Jane Doe, do you know how loved you are? Do you know you're fearfully and wonderfully made? You won't believe what I did in high school. And here I am. There's life after this. It will not define you. On and on and on. Mercy asks the question, what if that was me? And then acts. Secondly, Mercy asks the question, how can I help? You guys come on out, J.D. I hear you poking around back there. Creepy, just creepy. He's like, Will, Will. <laughs> so creepy. I'm just going to talk 15 more minutes because you're so irritated by making me wait so long. Mercy asked the question, how can I help? What can I do? Maybe you need to think about those questions for a minute. Here's your bottom line. Kingdom people show mercy because they receive mercy and they know it. See, some of you don't understand you receive mercy and so you're not very merciful, but Jesus said, he who's been forgiven much loves much. And when you realize you receive mercy, you're merciful. So these guys have a song to sing over you. I realized I didn't even talk to people online today. We're glad you're here. Been a little distracted. You stay with us for a minute. Will you let this just sit on you? First, that you might receive mercy. You're not damaged goods. You're not the exception to God's love. You're not the stepchild. You're first in his eyes. And then once that fills you, would you let begin to think about to whom might you need to show mercy and what might it look like? Lord, I pray for the time. I pray you'll just move by the power of your spirit. And I pray it in Jesus' name.